The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five stocks taking a cue from Taylor Swift. Looking to shake off that hot inflation data, but the major index's five-week win streak, that's at risk. Return of the czar. President Biden reportedly looking to tap a point person to oversee his trillion-dollar infrastructure deal. Shares of Lordstown down. That stock hit hard as the company once again pushing back production of its truck. Speaking of EVs, Elon Musk throwing a little shade at Rivian amid its blockbuster debut. And your weekly exclusive look at insider buys is back. And it's a family affair for one media giant seeing two big buys of its stock. We'll tell you who. All on this Friday, November 12th, this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome once again from wherever in the world you may be watching or wherever in the world you may be broadcasting from, because sadly, today is our last day here in London. I want to thank all the CNBC crew and people here. It's been amazing to see everybody again. We will be back in the States on Monday. There's a look, a little rainy and drizzly. It's kind of the perfect London day, to be honest. All right, here's how your money in the markets look, as they are setting up their Friday, and it's not perfect, but... Stock futures are a little bit higher. All this after a mixed session on Thursday, with the Dow losing about a half a percent. The Nasdaq tacked on a similar amount. Technology stocks just continue to roll. The Nasdaq futures, they're up. Dow futures up about 49. But watch out a bit, because this week, the big indexes, at least right now, on track to snap their five-week winning streak. So unless stocks really boom today, probably like more than, what, one and a half, one percent, the streak is over. Now, despite that drop, all three still within striking distance of their record highs. Inflation be darned. All right. Also got to take a look at treasuries. Had a little action in bonds earlier in the week on that inflation number, but the 10-year yield still sitting below 1.6%. It doesn't matter what seems to happen. Bonds and bond yields simply do not move. All right. Let's go now around the world. Stocks in Asia wrapping up their week on a higher note. Japan's Nikkei and the Kospi in South Korea leading the gains up more than 1%. Hong Kong-listed shares of Chinese chipmaker Semiconductor Manufacturing International, SMI, they took a hit. company said a top executive and multiple board members sort of suddenly resigned. A lot of stuff like that going on in China. That's why we're talking about it. You probably don't care about the stock, but there's just a lot of things that are sort of bubbling under the surface in Hong Kong and China lately. All right, let's take a look at the early trade in Europe as well. Or not. There we go. A couple of names to watch in trading here. Richemont reporting a first half net profit of $1.43 billion. That is topping expectations. And Farfetch shares are higher as well. All right, let's move on. We're going to get more on the markets in a moment. But right now, let's get some of your top stories on this Friday, including President Biden reportedly set to name a point person to oversee his trillion-dollar infrastructure bill. Silvana Hanau is here with that. And more headlines on this Friday. Savannah. 
Hey, Brian, good morning. Yeah, so Axios is reporting that the president will name what is being dubbed the Infrastructure Implementation Coordinator. The report says that the person will be tasked with streamlining the grant and spending process and preventing fraud as the $1 trillion from the bill is dispersed. Axios says it's not clear at this point who the president may tap for the position. He's set to sign the legislation on Monday before hitting the road next week to promote it. Kellogg's has filed a lawsuit against striking workers at its Omaha cereal plant. The company is accusing employees of blocking entrances to the facility and intimidating replacement workers. The suit comes as Kellogg's and the union representing workers remain at an impasse on contract talks. And Alibaba and JD reporting record sales amid China's Singles Day holiday. The e-commerce giants pulling in $139 billion during yesterday's online sales event. The record figure coming amid continued worries about the strength of the Chinese consumer and the impact of Beijing's ongoing crackdowns on technology companies. Brian, back to you. All right, Savannah Hanau, we'll see you in a few minutes. Thank you very much. Well, as promised, back to your money and what your first guest today calls the Goldilocks and the three bulls scenario. Cliff Corso is president and chief investment officer at Advisors Asset Management and apparently now is changing the game with children's books and markets. Cliff, welcome. Good to see you on WEX on this Friday. What do you mean by the Goldilocks and the three bulls? Well, uh, what I mean by that is we've had this, obviously, uh, tremendous run in markets, uh, rebound in the economy, and it's been driven by three uh, big pillars of uh, support. First, the Fed, as we know, and we talk, I talked about uh, all week uh, tapering. And, but the Fed is still very accommodative at zero rates, and even tapering is not tightening. They're still adding to the balance sheet, after all. Fiscal policy, $5 trillion, and, and still counting, as you, as you just uh, touched upon. Uh, albeit not as much as uh, uh, 12 months ago, but still supportive. And then the increasing freedom of moving around the economy uh, due to the vaccines. Uh, but the real challenge is uh, the recovery is occurring uh, in terms of cash in people's pockets, uh, demand, but not, uh, but not helping the supply chain disruptions at this point. So it's a big challenge, I think, for the Fed and the markets. You know, what, what happens with inflation? What happens with rates? But it's been uh, three bulls uh, driving the, the market up to now. Yeah, it really has been. And, and you know, the supply chain things, so there's some moves at the ports yesterday. They want to stop them lining up. They're basically just going to shift the problem to somebody else. Uh, that's just going to take time. I think everybody kind of realized that you only reopen once, to quote a few others who have said that before me. Uh, but when this does get shaken out, do you still worry about inflation or is inflation kind of not a worry like it was in the 70s and 80s? Because money supply uh, is so much higher. That's true. I think it's, you know, the the, the conversation seems so much about it being binary. It's either the 70s or it's 2%. It's, you know, to us, it's both. Uh, obviously, parts of it are transitory, but uh, parts of it uh, may be stickier than, than we'd all would like. And I, the two things that we're watching carefully on inflation are wages and shelter costs. Those two components of CPI are, are north of 50% of CPI. And uh, we see what's going on with wages. Obviously, there's a uh, supply shortage of labor. And I would say, if we want to go back to the 70s, labor's probably in the best position to negotiate that they've been in since the 70s. We see strikes, you know, we see uh, sign-on bonuses, we see it up and down the scale, not just for service um, industries, you know, Wall Street. Uh, so uh, wages, uh, very carefully watching that. It's been a frozen rope for decades at about 2%. Now it's peaking up to 3 Shelter costs are another one. You know, we always seem to fight the last uh, war or the last downturn. So the, the housing downturn 
uh, what that uh, the result of that was underbuilding for nearly a decade now. So there's a, a shortage yep. of supply given the demand. Uh, we see uh, new home prices. Uh, Case Shiller, I think, was 19 percent and change year over year. It takes about a year. There's about a yep. year lag between when house prices go up and it embeds itself into the CPI number. Yeah. So you know we think inflation could come down to. Well, Cl- Cliff, before we let you go on this Friday, before Cliff, I'm going to jump in. I apologize. Before we let you go on a Friday, I always like to have an opportunity. What do we buy now? Sure. Uh, so we think uh, we think the reopening is occurring, even if rates set up a little bit. Uh, inflation's at two or three uh, percent. Uh, that uh, we should be focused on income generating sectors and value. Uh, if you look at dividends, historically they've been about forty percent of total return. This last ten years only been about seventeen percent. We think that's going to revert. Uh, so we like the value sectors. We like banking, uh, good dividends, low PEs. We like international stocks, uh, lower PEs, recovering economy. Uh, those are some of the things that we would reposition, given where we're heading uh, in the next six to 12 months. Okay. Cliff Corso, advisors. Cliff, we appreciate your time. Thanks for getting up early for us on a Friday. Have a great weekend and a great day. Take care. You too, Brian. All right, we are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. Thank you. And when we return, some Friday big money movers, including more on one big EV play. Well, we just gave the name away. It's blink charging. Plus, inflation, actually a big boost to one specific group of retailers. We'll tell you who. And the COP26 Summit wrapping up. Diana Olick has been there for nearly two weeks as world leaders race to strike a climate deal. Diana, what are they up to on the final day? Well, Brian, we've just received yet another draft document on the final agreements. We'll have all the details for you coming up next on Worldwide Exchange. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. All right, welcome back. Time now for some of your Friday big money movers. Three key stock stories that are happening right now. Let's go. Lordstown is stock number one. The electric vehicle startup reporting a wider third quarter loss. They still have zero revenue, and the company also delaying the launch of its endurance pickup by three months to the third quarter of next year, citing shortages of parts and materials, as well as other supply chain issues. That stock is down about 10%. Stock two, Blink Charging, an EV charging company reporting third quarter sales well above analyst estimates. Blink and other EV chargers have soared this week. It's on the heels of passing President Biden's infrastructure bill, which includes seven billion for electric vehicles that stock up four percent and stock number three is wm technology this is the parent company that operates weed maps that is literally an app that maps where you can buy weed now known as cannabis 
It also has reviews, etc. You can order products online. Third quarter results and fourth quarter guidance coming in below expectations. That stock down 13%. Now to the final day of the two-week-long COP26 climate summit in Glasgow. Representatives from 197 countries racing to strike a deal before the conference ends. Have they gotten there? Diana Olick has been there for the duration, and she joins us now. Diana, we're waiting for the official announcement of any kind of final agreement. What do we know right now? Well, outside of that agreement, we have seen several agreements among both governments and businesses so far. 105 companies, including the U.S., agreed to cut methane emissions by 30 percent this decade. 130 countries also, including the U.S., vowed to stop deforestation by 2030. India finally made a net zero pledge by 2070, but that's far later than most major carbon-emitting countries. 24 countries and some leading car manufacturers agreed to move entirely to electric vehicles by 2040 or earlier. Ford, Mercedes and Volvo among them. The U.S., China and Germany, by far the leaders in the auto industry, did not sign on, nor did BMW, Volkswagen and Toyota. So a ways to go there. Now, as for the formal document, we did just get a second draft this morning, and it does have some strong language, but most here are saying it still doesn't go far enough. It leans into the 1.5 degrees Celsius warming limit as a global goal, but it's still holding to the Paris Agreement of 2 degrees. Now, one major climate tracking organization put out a report earlier this week saying that given the country's emissions reduction targets for 2030, global warming is now on course to 2.4 degrees above pre-industrial levels. They called that, quote, catastrophic. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres said the original 1.5 degree goal is, quote, on life support. Now, the draft also includes language on fossil fuel reduction, and that is the first ever mention of that in a COP agreement. It calls on nations to accelerate the phasing out of coal and inefficient subsidies for fossil fuels, but it doesn't exactly set out a time frame for that. On adaptation financing, it gives countries, uh, undeveloped countries, it does set a new date of 2025. So it's kind of a mixed bag, Brian. All right. Well, you've spoken, by the way, been there a long time, done amazing work, Diana. So thank you. I know there have been long days. You've spoken with a lot of CEOs over the last, you know, 12 days or so. Uh, I suspect I know why they were there, because you, you go to where the money is, of course. But what was their take on how it went and also maybe some of the progress on the core reason people are there? Yeah, Brian, I think we spoke to about nine CEOs and company presidents, as well as some venture capital fund managers and Bill Gates and John Doerr to boot. Now, to a person, they all said that climate will be the single largest business opportunity of this generation, one and a half to two times the spend of the Internet in the next decade. They came here not just to, you know, tout their own green agendas, but to talk with each other and policymakers about public-private partnerships the dinners and that's where the magic really happens going to dinner with a small group of people I had one with democrats and republican congress people um, and the tone in that room is so different than what you see in, on capitol hill or reading the newspaper with people listening and getting the private sector input and that was just one of probably hundreds of meetings like that across the region in these last two weeks brian what about your personal takeaways obviously you've been there you flew all the way there. I know you're sitting through, you know, panel after panel. But what are just some of the macro takeaways that you have? Brian, it is the sheer amount of money, the capital walking through these hallways, whether it's private corporations, hedge fund managers, venture capitals, new startups 
trillions of dollars represented here. And that's so important because that's the money that's going to fund the transition to clean energy. It's going to fund adaptation and resilience in our built infrastructure. And it's also going to be the start of the carbon credit markets, which are just emerging here now. And, you know, I'll be honest, I've never covered a cop before, so I don't know how many companies usually come. But I talked to someone who has covered several. He said he has never seen this kind of corporate representation and just this kind of money in these hallways, Brian. Yeah, you know, we always talk about the green economy. I think at least as far as the American currency goes, we can talk about the green economy in a different way. Maybe we'll see it next year at COP27. I think it's in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. Is it not? It would be warmer for sure. <laughs> and hold on. I don't think you can see me, but I'm going to pull something out of my pocket. You'll show our viewers just so they understand what it's like to travel internationally. This is my, uh, I'm holding, don't, don't get nervous, Don. I saw that glance. I can see you. I'm holding up my rapid test. I've been tested four times in five days to fly, no, to no, go no, back, no. to no. come into the office. No, Brian, How many I times win. have you been tested? I have been tested 11 times, 11 times, and I have a row of the tests in my hotel room. Got tested again this morning to get out of the country. A lot of testing here. But you've got to say, look, they managed to keep this conference safe. There were 10,000 people here a day in the first week. Everybody had to test. Yeah. Everybody had to show the credential that they had been tested. But, yeah, I beat you on the testing. Agreed. Sorry. Oh, okay, okay. Well, hey, four out of five days had to, you know, and I want to say, I'm saying it for a reason, Danny. You're exactly right. We're arguing over masks in America, right? Kids here in the U.K., I'm not saying either way, either way have never worn a mask. They never will. It's because they are good at testing. The United States needs to be better at this. Cheap, fast, reliable testing. And then we can have conferences and we can have fun and we can have dinners and everything. Right? Absolutely. Here's my test. I get to fly today. <laughs> Diana, look forward to seeing you back on the stateside. Thank you very much. Amazing stuff for the last two weeks. Thank Go you. have some haggis. All right, coming up, your weekly exclusive. In Every time I go, <laughs> Diana's like, uh. Your weekly insider buying segment is coming up with one media stock showing big time insider buying. We'll tell you who plus crypto traders piling in. But is Bitcoin really an inflation hedge? Hint, no. We're back next. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Friday morning. Hope you have a great start to your day or great into it. If you are in Hong Kong or Shanghai, welcome. All right, let's get a check on some of this morning's other top headlines outside of the money and the markets. 
NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with that and more. Good morning, Francis. Hi, Brian. Good morning. The Kyle Rittenhouse murder trial is accelerating toward its conclusion. Judge Bruce Schrader making headlines, butting heads again with prosecutors in the courtroom on Thursday. Closing arguments in the case begin Monday. The committee investigating the January 6th insurrection will not get to see documents from the Trump White House today. A federal appeals court has put on hold the release of records relating to the deadly Capitol riot. The documents will be blocked while the expedited appeals process is completed. The court scheduled an oral argument for November 30th. Week 10 in the NFL has begun. The Ravens and Dolphins battling in a defensive struggle in Miami. Pods of Dolphins got to the Ravens offense early and often, forcing an interception of Lamar Jackson and a fumble recovered by Xavier Howard, which he runs back 49 yards for that touchdown. Baltimore would find the end zone in the fourth, but the game was out of reach. Miami earns that win 22 to 17. All right, who can forget Wilson's dramatic performance in Tom Hanks' movie, Castaway? It is one of the most iconic movie props of all time. Chuck Nolan's deserted island best friend sold in a London auction for $308,000. So Wilson fetched nearly quadruple the 80000 he was originally estimated to go for. So there you go. 20, 21 years later, Brian, a little distressed, a little age, but still the same old Wilson. The same old Will. And I have a feeling Wilson's not really going to age either as well. But for that mm-hmm. kind of money, better do something. Francis yeah. Rivera, have a great weekend. Thank Me too. You. All right, will do. All right, still on deck. McDonald's CEO facing pressure to step down. It's over comments on violence in the fast food giant's hometown of Chicago. And it's a reminder, if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you missed the show any day, don't sweat it. You can listen to it on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or others. Stock futures, they are higher. Oil is lower. We are back right after this. Is this the pause that refreshes? And yes, Virginia stocks can go down, and they have this week, but futures are looking good. And Stephanie Link is here with what you should still be buying right now. Elon Musk, Rick Rolling Rivian, even as that stock just continues to power higher. And your weekly exclusive look at insider buys, including a big buy by two insiders at one well-known media name. We'll tell you who on this Friday, November 12th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, good Friday morning. Welcome or welcome back, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan, and once again, we are live from London. Sadly, our last day. A big thanks to CNBC crew and everybody here for hosting us. We appreciate it. All right, let's get a check on your futures right now. We are seeing a little bit of strength. Not a lot of green, but hey, it's not in the red as well. We are seeing stock futures up about one to two tenths of one percent as well. Now, unless we get some big booming day for the markets, we might. You never know. The five week win streak this week could be coming to a close. Maybe all good things at some point come to an end. We are up five weeks in a row in the major indexes. That is likely not not entirely, but right now likely to end this week. But don't make too much of it. We are still very close to all-time record highs. And we also want to highlight one of the best-performing groups of the week, and that is the materials. Kind of a broad name, but it's all the stuff we, we make, really. And it's been a sector with some big gains. Freeport McMoran, the copper company, up nearly 11%. IFF, they make perfume and fragrances, up about 4.5%, along with Newmont Mining. And I want you to remember, back on our RBI on October 11th, just over a month ago, 
We talked about how fertilizer companies may boom here in the U.S. because natural gas costs in Europe are so high. Well, this week, fertilizer maker CF Industries stock rose nearly 8%, and it's up, I think, about 15% since that, uh, that RBI. You're welcome. Actually used to be a fertilizer trader. True story. All right, we've also been here covering what could be a coming global energy shortage, but for now, we're actually seeing a little softening in oil and natural gas. Both those are down just a touch, though WTI is still over 80. Europe spot gas also down as Russia boosted flows of gas to Europe earlier this week. But those futures still up 300 percent in price from just one year ago. All right. Well, speaking of Russia, we have some important headlines crossing minutes ago from the Kremlin. Spokespeople there saying that Belarusian strongman leader Viktor Lukashenko, a close ally of Vladimir Putin, did not consult Putin before threatening to stop or slow natural gas supplies to Europe. Remember, Russia's important Yamal pipeline, which we highlighted for you yesterday, runs through Belarus and into Poland. And Lukashenko this week saying he might slow gas flows unless Western Europe fixes the growing border crisis with Poland, where thousands of migrants are stuck and many have died, literally freezing to death. Now, Putin may be trying to calm the markets a bit, coming out and saying that Russia will meet its contractual obligations in natural gas, but also defending or saying it will defend its borders if need be, because in addition to what has been happening at the Belarus-Poland border, there have been some reports that Russia may be moving troops towards Ukraine with some threats to enter that country. Putin also talking down some of those recent headlines, but tensions certainly on the rise in that part of the world that houses many of the key pipelines bringing gas to Europe. All right, now, some of this morning's other top headlines stateside, including some new calls for the CEO of McDonald's to step down over comments he made about violence and kids in Chicago. Silvana Hanau is back with that and more. Silvana. Hey, Brian. Yeah, so McDonald's CEO is facing growing calls to resign amid backlash over his text with Chicago's mayor over deadly gun violence in that city. A coalition of community groups that demonstrated against Chris Kamchinsky last week have sent a letter to the fast food giant's board demanding his removal. The group also says it wants McDonald's to create a $200 million fund to make investments in Chicago communities and also set up a committee featuring representatives from the community to improve wages and working conditions for employees. Shares of Lumen are under pressure amid a roller coaster week for that stock. The company revealing third quarter revenue of $8 million, short of analyst expectations. This after the stock surge on news, Luminar had won a deal to use its LiDAR technology in NVIDIA's autonomous vehicle platform. And Elon Musk weighing in on competitor Rivian amid its blockbuster debut on the public markets. Responding to a tweet, the Tesla CEO said that high production and break-even cash flow will be the true test for the fellow EV maker adding that Tesla had already been selling its Roadster model for two years with plans to roll out its Model S when it went public. Shares of Rivian are up nearly 58 percent, giving it a market cap of nearly $105 billion, surpassing both Ford and General Motors. Brian? All right, Savannah. Wow, the Rivian story is yeah. one that even here in London, people keep coming up to me and they're like, what do you think about this Rivian? I'm like, oh, beautiful cars. It, it is a Savannah, thank you very car. much. You got it, Brian. Oh, absolutely. All right. Let's talk rising prices, because it is not just lately for gas or housing. Prices are going up in the retail world as well. But this could actually be good news for one group of retail stocks. Let's find out the who's and the why's with Courtney Reagan. Courtney, good morning. 
Hi, good morning, Brian. So discount retailers, as you know, tend to attract more shoppers in economic downturns. But recent traffic actually suggests that many shoppers are hitting those discounters as inflation begins to heat up. So while average hourly earnings were up 5% in October compared to last year, when you take the rate of inflation into account, real hourly wages actually declined more than 1.2%. This is according to the Labor Department. Consumer sentiment did rebound slightly from August low, but the last two months average out to the weakest reading in a decade. In-store traffic data from Placer.ai shows an uptick in retailers that sell at lower prices. So traffic in October compared to 2019 pre-pandemic is up 21% for home goods, 16.5% for Target, more than 13% for Ross stores, 11.5% for Burlington, and nearly 5.4% for Walmart. The big box players like Walmart and Target, of course, use their size and scale to navigate the supply chain congestion, like chartering their own ships for cargo, as we've discussed. The off-price players, the TJXs of the world, Ross stores, Burlington, they're taking advantage of the inventory dislocations from the past 18 months, really, to be able to buy up merchandise at attractive prices and then offer that merchandise in stores for those treasure hunters, giving them something to salivate over. So investors are taking notice of the opportunity that's happening in the discount space with a number of stocks well outperforming the S&P 500 over the last month. Shares of Dollar Tree, for instance, up 15% since the September read of inflation came out in mid-October. So we've had two inflation reads in that period of time. Five below shares are up 16%. Target shares are higher by 12%. Brian? Wow. I, kind of unbelievable here. I mean, five below, Target, Dollar Tree. Is there any sign that, that when, when or if, I guess, Cordy, I shouldn't say when, it could be if, we start to see prices come down, <laughs> that these stocks will then suffer as well? Or are we just going to go to five below and stock up on, you know, giant boxes of Mike and Ike forever, which by the, I'm told are delicious? You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know what's so funny, Brian, is is in, in years past, before the Great Recession, when we saw consumers trade down to a discount retailer to try to save some money, try to stretch those paychecks, when times got better and finances got better, people went back to their old habits. Maybe, you know, they started to buy the pricier meat as opposed to the choices that they were making when things were a little stretched. But after the pandemic, we actually did not see that behavior return. I think consumers started to realize there is value in shopping discount and they don't have to pay more for some items. They're OK with some of those substitutes that they found. So when and yeah. if those prices do return to where we had seen previously, I'm not sure that you actually see a return to those other stores and then thus a subsequent loss in sales for these discounters we're talking about. Well, I noticed a, a trend, I think, in some of those names, Courtney, which is that sort of treasure hunt type mentality, right? These are the stores totally. you kind of go into. You don't really know what they, I mean, you, you have a general idea of what they have, right? You know, clothes, candy or whatever. And then you kind of right. like, oh, yeah, I found this. It's, it's, it's supposed to be fun. Make shopping fun again. It, it, is for, it is for me. And again, that's sort of that whole in-person thing. You can't necessarily do that. Not the same thrill as easily online and it's so interesting that these off-price players like a tjx like a ross they have a very small web presence and that's been okay for those shoppers they've been able to sustain those sales increase them and increase that foot traffic yep. with sort of that old model you got to come in you got to look through the racks you never know what you might find i love it 
That's right. Why have, why have anything on your website? Make people come in and poke around and stock up on Mike and Ike's. By the way, I'm dropping hints. I love Mike and Ike's. Courtney, thank you very much. <laughs> I picked up on that. <laughs> <laughs> it's the ultimate stocking stuffer. All right. So let's continue our talk about inflation. Here's kind of a question that a lot of people have been asking and debating and yelling about. Is crypto, Bitcoin in particular, is it a hedge against inflation? It is a big debate. So let's wade in and maybe try to end it with Noel Atchison, head of market insights at Genesis Trading. I know what I think, but nobody cares. I don't think Bitcoin is any kind of an inflation hedge. I could tell you why, but you're the guest. What do you think? Morning, Brian. That very question hits at the core of how the market is struggling to come to terms with what Bitcoin is. And many assume it's an inflation hedge because that's what they've been told. And because if Bitcoin is digital gold and gold is an inflation hedge, then it follows. But, but there's no evidence of that. Bitcoin hasn't been around long enough to test. Gold certainly has been around long enough. But the actual correlation between gold and inflation is actually quite low. But maybe that doesn't matter because the correlation between Bitcoin and gold is also very low. And in fact, it was negative ever since the middle of the summer up until the beginning of this month. So you can understand the market's confusion, Brian, but there are other layers yeah. to consider as well, one of which we'll be reminded of this weekend, which is the upgrade to the Bitcoin protocol, the upgrade called Taproot. It will be the most significant change to the Bitcoin protocol since the block capacity increase in 2017 will broaden the potential use case of the technology. And the key is, Brian, that this reminds us all that Bitcoin may be an inflation hedge or it may not, but it is a hard asset as well as a new technology. When last, Brian, did anyone try to upgrade gold? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give you my views if you care, and then you can tell me I'm right or wrong. Number one, I, I, I don't like calling them cryptocurrencies. I know everybody does, so I have to say it just because that's otherwise I look weird. But the reality is it's not a, it's not a currency because currencies don't move with this kind of volatility up, up, up. I would never pay for anything with Bitcoin because I'll probably lose out on future gains. I, I mean, I could pay you with a bale of hay if you would accept it, Noel. So, you know, that that's how kind of how it works. Anything can be used to transact. But also, Bitcoin rose when no one was talking about inflation for years, inflation started to take off in the spring and Bitcoin fell. How would you react to those two sort of points that, that I would, if we were debating each Lincoln-Douglas debate style, Noel? The fact that we're even having this conversation, Brian, shows that the market is starting to intensely debate what Bitcoin is. The bottom line is we don't yet know what it is. We know what characteristics it has. Many of us know what we would like it to be. These are obviously my opinions, not those of my employer. Nothing I say is investment advice. But claiming it's an inflation hedge, no evidence for that whatsoever. Claiming that it is likely to be a strong preserver of capital against eventual currency debasement longer term, yes, that does look very likely, simply because, like gold has acted in that role for millennia, Bitcoin has a more provable quantity in, in, in circulation. It has a more provable um, scarcity. It also is easier to access, easier to hold, easier to transport, and has the additional layer on top that we don't yet know what it's available use case will be. So hard asset, inflation hedge, or a hedge against turmoil, if you like, but also a new technology. It's a good debate, and uh, but I think we just ended it. It's over now. Noel Atchison, we're going to move on. Congratulations. <laughs> we solved the problems at uh, 540 in the morning on a Friday. Have yeah. a great day. <laughs> you too, Brian. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Bitcoin rose like 100 million percent when no one talked about inflation. Ergo, ipso facto, it is not an inflation hedge. All right, on deck. As hundreds of billions of taxpayer dollars are being thrown at renewables, 
Which companies and stocks will actually win? Evercourse, James West is here doing some great work on just that. We'll hear from him next. All right, welcome back. Well, the Build Back Better bill moving through Congress has about $550 billion right now allocated toward what they call clean energy technology and investment. And the implications of where that money could end up flowing is huge. And they also present a lot of investment opportunities, perhaps, for renewable energy companies. Joining us now to talk more about it is James West, Senior Managing Director at Evercore ISI. He and his team have been doing some spectacular work. James, really appreciate you coming on. Love your stuff. I don't know how you have time to put all of it together. I try to read as much of it as I can. Uh, doing a tremendous job. Let's dive right in here. Uh, traders been buying up Enphase and Nova and SunPower. Is, is really there that much opportunity here for for solar stocks, or has the trade already been done? I think there's still more to go here, Brian. I think the um, you know of the 555 billion uh, that's going into uh, Build Back Better, uh, 320 billion is towards solar and solar being the main uh, driver here. So residential solar penetration is only about 3% in the U.S. We think that could get to 40% over the next 20 years. And so I think Enphase, uh, Sonova, Sunrun, these companies all have uh, huge opportunities here to uh, increase their the, the share of you know, off-grid uh, power generation. It's, it's really a key here that you know, California, Texas, uh, parts of New York State uh, have, have seen the grid fail and they really want off-grid power, and solar is the way to provide that. Yeah, and that's what I'm here in the U.K., James, and we've been talking about this kind of all week, which is that, and they've been talking about it at COP, too, which is that gap. What people, we love about renewables, it, you know, it, all the things they do well, they do some things very poorly. You've got to use the energy right away, and they tend to be located in areas that are far away because you need heavy winds or, or super hot weather. That battery storage space and being able to store some of that renewable energy, that is so critical right now to everything, is it not? It, it really is. So we, we refer to that as the, the third pillar here. So you have wind and solar that have become the, the two uh, economically advantageous uh, sources of renewable energy, but they have that intermittency problem that you suggested. Power storage is now coming into the fold where it's economic uh, with uh, fossil fuel uh, production. And so to be able to store that energy, especially with Enphase and others, having a new technology that allows you to kind of manage your, your microgrid, if you will, um, of, of, your store, of your solar uh, mm-hmm. panels, is, is allowing you to create that, that storage so you can store it, you use it when you need it, uh, you use uh, the solar force when, uh, when it's coming into your house, when the sun's not shining, you've got power, you've got power storage. And so that's, the, that's that big thing that, that gets rid of the intermittency issue that really makes renewables yeah. uh, gets rid of that kind of that, that argument against renewables and for fossil fuels all right let's talk about electric cars because obviously rivian's ipo has yeah. been huge electric vehicle sales are booming around the world i think faster than people thought and here's the thing you know i did a test drive in a Polestar electric car, and I complained about the charging, and people said, well, you ding-dong, 95% of charging is done at home. Yeah, 95%, but I need my car to be 100% utility. What comes first? Will big sales of electric cars drive the build-out of charging networks, or do we need the charging system set up so people see them and say, it's safe to buy an electric car? 
Chicken it's, and egg. It's the, it's the classic chicken and egg. You're, you're absolutely right here. So I, I think that the charging network needs to be in front of, and you see companies like EVgo or ChargePoint or others building the network out in front of the uh, huge amount of models of, of EVs that are coming to the market. And so uh, we, we do think that charging, you know, we need to get rid of range anxiety. So for guys like yourself, guys like me, that uh, are worried about charging our network, we need to be able to see that the uh, network is there and available to us before we can go on you know, long haul trips. So we can go 200, 300 miles yep. without having range anxiety. So I think the charge network, we're building it out. There is money in the in the uh, uh, the infrastructure bill that came out. It's already passed. That is for charging. Um, you, you will see more capital going to EVs in the Build Back Better uh, uh, program, which uh, hopefully that will get passed in the next couple of weeks yeah. in Wisconsin. So th- th- there's money to that, but I think yeah. we need to be charging. I mean, we're, our view is that EVs will be 70% of auto sales in 20 years. There'll be 40% of cars on the road, and we need the EV infrastructure business to be about 60 times bigger than it is today at that point. Wow. 60 times. That is a big, big number, but a very cool story. That's why everybody right now that I know that owns an electric car also has a gas car to go to Grandma's house in Vermont or whatever. James, we really appreciate the great work that you and your team have been doing. I've learned a lot. Thank you. We'll get you back soon. Thanks, Brian. All right, on deck. Your weekly, you're welcome. Your weekly insider buying segment, one big media name with two insider buys, plus we tend to call it Opportunity Fridays here on Worldwide Exchange, and Stephanie Link is here with some stocks she likes now. Stick around. All right, welcome back. Even though we have been live in London all week, we are still going to do one of your favorite segments here on WEX, the weekly insider buying bonanza, highlighting the five companies of the past week whose top execs picked up the most of their own stock. Some really interesting names this week. As always, the data comes from insiderscore.com. With our thanks, and as always, let me count you down five to one. You ready? Here we go. Fifth most insider buying this week, Bed, Bath, and Beyond. Two insiders buying 982000 worth of that red-hot retailer. Stock's been strong. They don't care. They're buyers. Number four, Scott's miracle Grow, A board member buying just over a million bucks of the plant food company. Insider score also notes there's been no insider selling since May, which they think is a bullish sign. Stock three, Sartes, Viacom. Two well-known buyers this week, including... CEO Bob Backish and board member Sherry Redstone with a total of one and a half million dollars. This was Backish's first buy since joining the company about two years ago. Viacom, clearly a name to watch. The second most insider buying this week, Rent a Center. RCII, two board members paying a combined 1.73 million. And the most insider buying this week, ServiceNow. One board member getting very aggressive, buying 1.98 million of the cloud software company. His first insider buy in two years. So there's your top five insider buys this week. Bed Bath & Beyond, Scott's miracle Grow, Viacom, Rent-A-Center, and ServiceNow. Big names to watch in a red-hot market. We try to do this almost every week for you right here on WEX. Well, now to something else that we've been highlighting on this show about the markets for a while now. And that is the shrinking number of stocks. According to the Wilshire 5000 Total Market Index, There are fewer than 3,700 publicly listed U.S. stocks to buy today, down from more than 7,500 in the late 90s. In the meantime, the total market cap of stocks has surged. Combined, these trends mean more wild moves for stocks. What are we talking about? Well, take a look at this. Some after-hours moves for a few names this week alone following their earnings. Poshmark fell down 
31%. On its holiday quarter, the outlook came in below at Roblox, up 30% in a strong quarter. Ring Central, up 25%. Affirm, up 28%. Think about these moves. Pretty amazing. Let's bring in Stephanie Link of Hightower to talk more about this and some opportunities. Stephanie, appreciate you joining us. Um, I don't want to call it a broken market. Maybe you will, but, but, but I have with regards to those stocks. I mean, 30% moves on earnings, but a lot of them, what do you make of it? It's not normal quite frankly, right? I mean, it's uh, no. it's either there's high short interest or they're kind of the meme names. Thankfully, to be honest with you, they're not in the S&P 500 benchmark. Otherwise, I would have to pay attention to them. They're a small piece of the market overall. Uh, if you want to play in those names, go for it. But those are not trading on real fundamentals. I mean, I know if, if you disappoint on earnings, I get that. Or if you beat on earnings, I also get that. But to move in, in this these kinds of ways is is really, um, it's a little disturbing, but if, again, I'm not kind of even, I'm paying attention to it, Brian, but it's not something that I would invest in yeah. because it's not really investing. No, no, it's gambling. I mean, it's, and it's or it's guessing even yeah. worse, right? I mean, at least gambling, yeah. you might be able to put the odds. I mean, when you buy a stock and it falls 30% after hours, that's something else. But there is something else to be said about this. And, and somebody asked me like, what's the bull case for stocks long-term? And that's my friend. And that's kind of actually how he sounds. And I said the fact that the number of stocks in the market has been cut down by half, even more so with buybacks, but the amount of money is going up. I mean, it doesn't take a market genius to realize fewer assets, much more money. The path of likely resistance is up. Right. It's or a least supply likely, demand. But look, overall. Right. But like, step back for half a second. I mean, overall for the market, earnings have been very good, up 37.1% year over year. And, the, and you mentioned it, buybacks, dividends, the free cash flow has been enormous. And so you're not only seeing buybacks and dividends, but you're also seeing M&A. You're at $3.7 trillion year to date on M&A. That versus $3.5 all of last year. So already, we've already surpassed it. And so I like that they're doing good things with their cash flow. Um, and now all of a sudden you're starting to see spins as well, which is sort of kind of interesting. So let's focus on the fundamentals and pick some good quality companies. There's plenty to be had. Um, if it's a little bumpy here in the short term because of inflation fears, uh, I think you want to pick some names, quality names, and, uh, and, 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 and think about between now and the end of the year, it's seasonally the strong period yep. to own equities. And so that's why you want to do it. Okay, let's find some of those on Opportunity Fridays. I'm literally branding the show as we go along here, Stephanie. I am in London. I flew United. <laughs> I booked my ticket a month ago when COVID was popping here. I paid next to nothing. I looked for the same flight. This is true. Three weeks from now, it was four times the price. Literally 4X from Newark to Heathrow. That's got to be good for United. It's got to be good for Expedia. It's got to be good for travel in general. In general, and reopen is alive and well. The pent-up demand is enormous. And to your point on UAL, uh, the CEO was on CNBC earlier this week and said that international travel is actually off the sh off the sh uh, charts. Rather, um, there's a hundred percent load factor last weekend alone from international travel. Um, so demand is absolutely on fire. Win Resorts talked about how in October their EBITDA was at record levels. We've heard from a, a number of companies in mm. Las Vegas. That's booming. And Expedia, the CEO said that, <laughs> that their bookings in the summer of 22 are higher than 21. So 
Reopen is alive and well. Wow. Consumer has $2 trillion in excess savings. So there's pent-up demand. That's definitely a theme that I want to be playing at this point. Wow, the continued reopen trade continues. And this one is really the big trip travel one, not just domestic. Stephanie Link, always love having you on the program. Thanks for starting your Friday with us. We appreciate it, Steph. Thank you. All right. Well, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange, live from London all week for you. Back in the States on Monday. We'll see you back there as well, probably from a full plane, by the way. A lot more to do on this Friday. Squawk Box, the gang, they're going to pick it up for you next. We'll see you Monday morning. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.